In Chicago, you know that all sports rock. The Bears, Hawks, Bulls, Cubs, and Tops. Pick your favorite, you can choose. As long as the Packers lose. For everything you need to know, it's Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. Everybody. Welcome to another edition of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. This is your hosts, Alex and Sean. On this episode, we are going to be talking about the happenings of the Chicago Bears. We're going to be talking about the Bulls nonsense, some Blackhawks, Bulls, uh, Cub Sox. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Rockford Ice Hogs. If you're not familiar with the Rockford Ice Hogs, they're the AHL minor league affiliate of the Chicago Blackhawks. What does that mean for you? You get to see the stars of tomorrow today at family-friendly, affordable prices. Season is going on right now, so make sure you head on over to icehogs.com. Get yourself a hat, shirt, jersey, and more. Tell them Swirsky Sports sent you. Alex, how are you doing, my friend? Uh, I'm cold. I hate football. Sports make me angry. Baseball's kind of cheering me up a bit uh, with CubsCon this weekend, their new signing, but... Um, yeah, from the football and basketball side, especially. Ugh. Yeah. Um, I guess we start with the Bears. Yeah, we we ended the season, and you know we we delayed our last week's show, thinking, oh, maybe there'll be some news, and there wasn't, and then midweek, and and honestly. The fact that um, we heard nothing on the Monday made me pretty sure that we were going to keep Matt Eberflus. I was pretty confident about that. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of I've had that feeling over the past month or so, um, you know, when you went out and beat the three win Cardinals at home and destroyed the Arthur Smith led Falcons, which, you know, again, you know, you, you lit them up on their defense, which is pretty good. So. That wasn't all that unimpressive, but still, um, when you went to Green Bay and you got severely outcoached, and then you saw what Jordan Love and Matt LaFleur just did to the Cowboys, a team that wasn't even supposed to be a factor this year. It was supposed to be a transition year for them, and they've already run more playoff games than you have won over the past 13 years. And how are we going to beat that? Honest to God, how are we going to beat that? We're going to have to go through 15 years of this again. Yeah. I. Why should I have any hope? Why should I have any hope when you see that there are other coaches out there that are in another galaxy than you? Did, did you watch the Browns-Texans game yesterday? I did. Did you see how against a staunt Browns defense... The Texans went out there and kicked their ass. C.J. Stroud looks like a star. That team was so well coached against that defense. And your, your coaching is not close to that. It's, it's just not. And, and, you know, sure, some of these other teams have more talent than you, but you know what? The Houston Texans were literally... In your position last year, heck, you could argue they were worse. They were worse than you. Look where they are. They're in the playoffs and they've won a playoff game already. 
You know why? They made changes to their coaching staff. And they actually have standards. Because the standards for the Chicago Bears are too damn low. Yeah, I don't know what Matt Eberflus did to deserve getting to come back. You won some games and you you can say that you more than doubled your record from a year which you were literally losing on purpose. With a last place schedule. But I don't care. You blew three games that you should have won. Mm-hmm. And had you made the playoffs, you were going to get blown out by somebody. You're not in that stratosphere yet. I mean, and, if, if and, they would have made the playoffs, regardless, it would have felt better than this. And we have an offensive line that's not good enough or healthy enough. And we had an offensive coordinator that was awful and you fired him, which you needed to do. Right. But you didn't fire him in the middle of the season. Look at other teams. They fired head co- or, uh, coordinators in the middle of the season. And you had the Buffalo Bills who looked like they were, I mean, actually for a while, like up until they fired their offensive coordinator, if the playoffs had a, had started the week that they fired their offensive coordinator, they would not have been in the playoffs. Right. And they made that move. Pittsburgh made that move mid-season. Guess where they are now? They're in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. We went, you know what? Let's just see. Let's just see how this is. You know what would have been the smart move? Honestly, the smart move is to fire uh, Getsy in the middle of the year and going, you know what? Let's see what part of this is Getsy, what part of this is Fields, what part of this is is the rest of the f- offense around him. Let's have somebody else make these play calls. Let's bring in somebody else. And and you see how this is because that would make this decision what you have with the number 1 pick a whole lot easier if you brought somebody else in and you went, "Oh, hey, look, Justin Fields is is a world beater." And you have Darnell Mooney is getting open and catching balls. Like if, if that happens, you go, oh, maybe it was the offensive coordinator and we feel confident going forward. But you didn't. You didn't because you're the Chicago Bears and your standards are low and you're a mom and pop organization in a McDonald's world. Yeah, you're the mom and pop shop trying to compete with Amazon. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because you know you know what they don't do? They don't reach for the stars. You know what? Mike Vrabel became available. There is still rumors that Jim Harbaugh might return to the NFL. Whether or not that happens remains to be seen, but there is a lot of smoke about him talking to other teams. You didn't even bother. Didn't even bother. And that is so typical for a city that is the third largest market in the country. It is so typical. Oh, White Sox, we're going to hire Chris Getz without talking to anybody. Oh, uh, the Marlins GM, Kim Ankin, became available. Nah, didn't even bother. We already hired Chris Getz. Sorry. It's, it's so typical. And it is so typical for them. 
why not shoot for the stars? One of the few franchises that did in the city. We had Cubs convention this weekend, and you listen to Craig Council talk, and you're like, man, that really is a manager. And that is somebody that everybody would want. And you know what? Maybe they hire a good offensive coordinator, and Eberflus is an okay CEO of the team, and they can win some games under him. But again, you're settling when you can reach for the stars, and you don't even want to bother to. It almost feels like you firing multiple guys on the staff, and again, Getsy was not working, so you needed to move on, but it almost feels like a scapegoat. And it feels like they are truly married to Matt Eberflus. And, and listen, he's got a chance to say, you know, next year if I have a good coordinator, I could be a decent head coach. But you know what? What? Why should we believe it right now? And who are they going to hire? I mean, there, there are names out there, but will they hire the right guy? The, you know, we have a list of guys that sound appealing, but who will they hire? Why? How many coordinators have we gone through over the past 20 years? How many? I have a, a question. Yes. And, and it's it's might be rhetorical because nobody in on this podcast can answer it. But let's just say let's just say that there are big still gaffes. Like the defensive coordinator that gets brought in is bogus and Eberflus has to go back to calling the plays. And there's time management gaffes and you're not happy with the direction of the team, but the new offensive coordinator looks really good. Do you, are you willing? Because if that play caller is good, these, the names that they've been calling forward and prefer interviews are all part of like the, the Shanahan tree. So, uh, they're they're likely going to get interviewed for head coaching jobs. So do you, are you willing to fire Eberflus and do what happened to Lovey in Tampa and fire Eberflus and hire the offensive coordinator as your head coach, knowing that if you don't, you're going to lose him? Sure. Do you think they would be willing to do that? I would be. Would the Bears do it? Probably not. It's it's just mind numbing. I I I know a lot of folks are really feel like Kevin Warren joining would be this huge thing where all right, well we separated the the McCaskies are just the owners and the check signers. Now you've got an adult in the room who's going to make these decisions and bring us into the modern world and help us win. I've I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. What has Kevin Warren done in his however long he's been here? What, eight months, nine months, ten months? Um, Since he's been here, not his, his resume before, but since he's been here, what has he done that has made you feel confident that he's he's doing a good job? I I had so much hope, so much hope when he came in. And it looks like more of the same. It really does. We are 
we are further from a stadium than we were when they hired him. Mm-hmm. They had, they had already started demolishing the racetrack and they had, we had schematics of what this is going to look like. We've already engaged the state and the county and the city. Uh, we had told the city of Chicago, there's no way we're done. This lease is once it's over, we're gone. Here's our stadium. That's, that was what it was before we hired Kevin Warren. Now it's, well, we're still looking at all the options. The South lot of Chicago is still looking good. Uh, there's, we couldn't build all the things that we wanted to build there, but you know, we'd be happy that you, you, you're, you don't even have a location anymore. Like you can no. own one, but you don't have a location that you're ready to break ground on. And uh, your team still stinks. You you're not willing to part ways with a head coach that has been dog shit tacos, and you just let go of Cliff Stein, who is super respected around the league, and has been with this team for a long time as the general counsel and the contract negotiator. And you let him go without any sort of explanation. Yeah. No, I I mean, I, I thought a year ago from now, I thought we'd be at this point right now feeling a lot better, that we would be in a good position to feel like we were truly moving forward and that we were going to have a stadium on the horizon. Obviously, it was going to take years to actually build the stadium, but like actually have a plan put together. But, you know, it, it, despite despite the improvement in record to seven wins, it, again, you watch that final game against Green Bay and you see what happens when a top-tier coach plays you and you feel like you're back to square one where the Bears have traditionally been in my lifetime and that's just mediocre. You're not bad enough to be bottom of the barrel, so you're improved there. But if you think that right now this team would go out and go on a Super Bowl run, I know a few weeks ago we said, hey, if this team got in, you know, maybe this team they could compete with, this team they can compete with, but... After we saw what happened against Green Bay, against these co- against the type of coaching, you're like, who are we kidding? Who are we kidding? Yeah, I mean, you know, sure, we got seven wins. And honestly, if we won two out of three of those games that we, we just absolutely bombed, that's nine wins. And you're like, okay, in theory, nine wins, that sounds really good. But the wins were not quality wins. You know, most of them weren't. The vast majority of them weren't. Those were the gimmies because you played a last place schedule. Your signature win was at home against the Lions. You beat them pretty good. And, you know, following up with that, I'd say, I mean, what's even next? I know the Falcons aren't good, but they do have a good defense. And Justin Fields looked really good against him. I think that was noteworthy. But you look at the rest. You beat the Commanders. They're awful. Aren't, aren't they the second pick now? Yes. And I, I understand they traded some guys away, including Montez Sweat since that game, but still, they're not a good team. The Raiders you played were still under Josh McDaniels. You had Brian Hoyer under center. If you didn't beat that team, then I wouldn't even know what to think. Okay, so there's two. Carolina. You beat the Car- Carolina, the worst team and probably the biggest dumpster fire in all of sports. You beat them 16-13. to 13. 
and okay, Tyson Bajit was in there, whatever, but, and you did beat them, but you, you squeaked by a really bad team that you needed to beat. You and then Minnesota, but I believe with Josh Dobbs, with Josh Dobbs and no, uh, Justin Jefferson, no Justin Jefferson. Correct. And you beat them. What? 12 to 10. You, you needed a, you needed a 30, 40 yard pass, whatever it was, Darnell Mooney to set up a field goal at the end. Um, and he beat the Cardinals. They got three wins. And then I mentioned the Arizona. Arizona was is the, uh, what the fourth the fourth worst team in the league. Something and you beat like Atlanta. That, yeah. So there's two qual and the and honestly, I'm gonna put an asterisk by the Lions because that started the skid that they were on, where they went from being a team that that you know the league was like, oh, this is our darling team, and and then suddenly everyone's like, Phew, can they win a can they win a playoff game at all? Um, started around that point. Um, because I believe the next week they got smoked by the Packers. So really, Atlanta might be your best win. I I'd still put it at the Lions. I mean, they're they won the division. Uh, I know Fair. what you're saying. Fair. And I um, think that the Lions have kind of rebounded since. I mean, watch, they could go out today and be the living crap out of the Rams. The game hasn't started yet, but we'll see. Um, but I mean, on paper, that's far and away the best team. I, it, it, you did, you did the two things that you needed to do to beat the Lions. One, you caught them at the right time because that was during their midseason skid. Um, and two, you applied the pressure you needed to on Jared Goff. I mean, you did those two things, and you were able to win because of that. Yeah, it just, you know, they don't have of those. Even if they won those other games, um. Let's see the the Denver game. Denver's bad. Uh, you know, th- if you won these other games, then like still you you don't look at your record and be like, you know, you got against the best teams, smoked by Green Bay, smoked by Tampa, smoked by Kansas City. Uh, like, okay, you you should have beat Cleveland, but then. Like Cleveland, Cleveland got smoked in the first round of the playoffs. So, like, oh, okay. So, you, the bar that you've set, like, shouldn't be the number of wins. It should be how you play against the best opponents. And they didn't play any of the best opponents. I mean, Kansas City is, they're good, but they've, they have not been the same Kansas City this season. And they smoked you. Green Bay shouldn't have even made the playoffs. And, they smoked you twice and embarrassed you. So like where you didn't even play the 49ers or the bills or the Ravens. Like do you, you didn't play the Eagles who, I mean, you know, for the big majority of the season, they were, they look like the team to beat. Um, You know, you didn't play the dolphins. You didn't like, these are, you didn't play these teams. And 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 you're you still like don't look like a, a competent team. And I get I get the fact that we had a complete teardown last year, but we should be more competitive. And is part of that that the offensive coordinator was a joke? I mean, I don't know if you heard the clips from the Amon Ross St. Brown podcast, but 
Like he basically called out Getsy, saying he doesn't know how to use Mooney. Um and the nobody gave vote of confidence in posts, you know, the end of the season interviews with him. But how much better can you get? You know, and, and again, I didn't expect to win a Super Bowl this year. It was an unrealistic expectation in a rebuild, but I'm going to say it again. Look at what the Texans did. Look what the Packers did when they didn't have expectations this year. Other teams can find ways to do it. And again, it it goes back to our standards and our outlook. It's too low for this team. It should be the expectation should be Super Bowl every year. And if you don't get it, you'd failed. Don't I don't want consolation prizes. I don't want to go, well, you know, uh, there was some moral victories there. No, if you don't win the Super Bowl, then you cannot be satisfied with the season. Period. But as long as we fight hard, hits principle. Play hard. We love football. Go out there. Give it your all. That's what our standards are. It's 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 terrible. Oh no. Just to make this night worse. Guess what? Guess what NFL memes just posted? Oh god. The Bills fan puke clip. <laughs> oh no. I thought that was scrubbed from the internet. Uh... It's back. Uh, a still of that was my my phone background for a while. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> uh, Bills fan puke has officially returned. I just and and listening to that post or that press conference on what Wednesday or whatever, uh, it didn't make me feel any better. No, because here we are talking about continuity, continuity, continuity. Why? It was shitty. Why do I want shitty continuity? While while we're bad, stir it up. Stir it up while we're bad. All right, well, why do I want continuity? You know, know, back in 2032, or I mean, 1832, when I was with the Rams, we, we, uh, we stuck with the plan and ended up winning the Super Bowl. You know what? That was a long time ago. That's not how the league's operating now. The league is different. So sticking with Matt Eberflus was a mistake. And and I, I hope that it does not end up as poorly as I'm expecting it to. I feel like the continuity excuse is another common ground here in Chicago. Continuity, Garpax. Continuity, Chris Getz, he's already within the organization. Continuity, Matt Eberflus, he's been here. Good teams hire the best available. Yep. And we never, never do. We don't hire Bruce Arians or Andy Reid or Nick Sirianni. Hell, we don't even hire the likes of Jim Caldwell. Over the past 10 years, 10 plus years, Decade, we've gone through Mark Tressman, John Fox, Matt Nagy, Matt Eberflus. Now, within those, 
John Fox was an experienced coach with a good resume. The fit just wasn't there. Mark Tressman, you hired over Bruce Arians. Just, God. I'm going to go with John Fox. He had a good history, but you knew you were going to get the shell of him because he wasn't the same guy. And it was the safe pick. You're like, all right, well, he's, he's, you you don't figure he's going to bottom out, but he's not going to take it. Right, right. And it, he bottomed out anyway. Um, So it's, we hire has beens or never will be's. We don't ever, we don't ever get the cream of the crop. No. The one thing I will say, Man Nagy didn't work out, but I think there was at least logic there. I didn't think the approach was necessarily wrong. That, I think, was just seriously a case of it, it, they didn't get it fully right. They they had the right approach. You're right. Hiring a young offensive coordinator, but they got a guy who didn't call plays before. And historically, the Andy Reid coaching, Andy Reid is a fantastic coach. He's the coaching be, tree is not. His coaching tree is is just bare. I mean, it's not as bad as the Belichick tree, but it's it's just there's just nothing. Like none of his nobody from his tree is there. So like what what made you think that this guy that had never called plays before as an offense coordinator could be the head coach? And honestly, as a head coach, like his downfall like i think i think he was a good leader of men i think people liked him it's he was so stubborn yeah and he had to control the offense no matter how poorly it was going just couldn't do it until he got bullied into it mm-hmm. we begged for bill laser pew, 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 to take over and he eventually did yeah and it's that's that was the downfall, you know the. And honestly, if you know the the plan was sound is to bring in this young offensive coordinator, pair him with a veteran defensive coordinator. It's sound. That's sound logic. You just picked the really wrong guy. I mean, can you imagine if we had got uh, Matt Lafleur and then paired him with? Uh, with Vic Fangio. Wouldn't that okay. be nice? It's just, it's just really frustrating. And listening to that press conference again, I've I've said this like four hundred times now. Nobody in this organization takes accountability. There's no accountability and they finally fire somebody. And that's the point where it was that guy. Like how many times have you heard a press conference where somebody was let go with a coordinator or the coal coaching staff or the GM, they always start it with, I want to thank this person for their contributions to the team and all the hard work they put in. They did not say that about Luke Etsy. They did not say that. They didn't thank him they, and they subtly blamed everything on him. And sure, he was a disaster. But the fact that you still, after the season's over, cannot internalize and say, listen, here's where I failed. Somebody in that press conference asked Eberflus, they're like, 
what makes you think you're going to get it right now is you've already failed twice with your coordinators. And he's like, Mm -hmm. well, we're just going to, we're going to be better. That's not answering the question. You failed twice. How do you changing your process? What is, what are the, the, the actual tangible things in your process that are different than the last time? And what went wrong there? Because you hired two absolute failures. One was so bad at his job that you canned him after two years. The other one was terrible at his job and got fired for an HR issue. That's terrible coaching decisions. And you're letting him pick again. And there's no accountability there. And there's None. no, and None. it doesn't sound like there's any risk of Matt Eberflus's job. No. No. And and this is another part of the reason that I don't want them to pick a quarterback with the number one pick because I don't believe they will get it right. You, Sean, right now, it, it doesn't feel like whatever they do is going to be getting it right. It, it feels like whatever they do, it's not going to happen. And you know what? You know what's even more frustrating? You had the ultimate gift over the past two years. The ultimate gift if you got the number one pick last year made a great trade and you got the number one pick this year yep and you still have more picks coming you have another pick coming next year so you're gonna waste that or not take full advantage of your opportunity to reach for the stars I just, I don't trust Kevin Warren and I don't like uh, Ryan Poles has done a good job, but there's been some flat out misses. Like both wide receivers that he's drafted have been absolute failures. Both of them. I, I have no, I see no path to Scott being a legitimate NFL wide receiver. And there's talks that Valus Jones is going to be a running back next year. So I don't, so he's already shown and, and the fact that he traded for uh, Claypool shows me that his evaluation of wide receivers is poor, poor. It's, it almost feels like this is to what, Remember Ryan Pace and his evaluation of tight ends? Yes. Remember Adam Shaheen and oh, yeah, uh, I remember him. Trey Burton. Um, just countless. You had a million tight ends. None of them were really anything above like a third string, second string level guy. Most of them are just, you know, borderline practice squad guys. It's kind of what it feels like with a lot of these wide receivers. And you even see Darnell Mooney that just fell from grace under this regime. The only positive with the wide receiver is DJ Moore is an absolute stud and you fleeced the Panthers to get him. But he's so good that he's, he's bears proof. Bears proof. That's a good way to put it. Like I, I feel, I feel like uh, Marvin Harrison jr. Is bears proof. Like, I'm not saying that you have to get him because there are some really good wide receivers. This is a really good wide receiver class. 
I'm saying though, is that he's bears proof. He's going to come in and he's going to be really good regardless what the bears try to ruin him. But I'm saying is that Ryan Poles, like the Montez sweat pick was great. Um, you know, the, you look at his record with uh, defensive backs. Very good. You know, has he, yes, has he had a, fail, a failure with defensive backs yet? No, I don't think so. Like they've been, they've been really good, especially Gordon Corps. Brisker, Stevenson, all look good. Smith. Terrell Smith. Smith. Yeah. He's, he's looked really good. Um, and I know people will complain about overpaying for linebackers, but TJ Edwards is a really damn good signing. So, you know, I, I don't know what he's going to look like drafting and evaluating a quarterback. Well, that, that's the whole thing, because I can look at this whole situation and say, you know what? I think that we're going to see a pretty decent roster built, but the two most important things are coaching and quarterbacks. And if you can't get those right, it's all for naught then you're just going to be stuck in this Mecca of seven wins and not being the worst, but being nowhere near a Super Bowl contender like you've been for so many years. And, you know, I, I look, I haven't done a deep dive into Caleb Williams and I didn't see very many games of USC because they play on the West coast and those games are late. Um, but he, he is listed by the university as, I think, 6'1". And don't be shocked is if when he has his official combine height and weight taken, that he's sub six foot. Don't be shocked. And that's that makes me a little frightened. Are we going to are we going to spend a number one pick where we could have had you know, an absolute haul for other players. And we're going to go with a, a 5'11 quarterback. We have several months to stew over this, and it is going to be torturous. Yeah, and I don't want to get into that. Is my What I'm just trying to say is that my comfort level, like with Justin Fields being able to progress – with another with a better offensive line and another wide receiver and an actual offensive coordinator is higher than the Bears ability to evaluate a quarterback and it doesn't matter which one and I know at least one of the quarterbacks drafted in the first round is going to be a really good NFL player because the statistics will say that's just the likelihood but my, and it has nothing, this is nothing negative about Drake May or Caleb Williams or the kid from LSU or J.J. McCarthy or Michael Penix. It is, it is my trust in the Bears and Ryan Poles evaluating a quarterback versus what I've seen out of Justin Fields. The floor is much higher with Justin Fields. And that's my, that's why I'd rather have them take the hall feels a lot safer and you to your point you know maybe maybe they can't be safe maybe they've got to reach for the stars i just i've i just as a bears fan i'm so used to them 
falling flat that if they reach for the stars, all they're going to do is fall flatter from a higher distance. Well, probably. And, you know, when I say reach for the stars, I don't mean reckless. When I say reach for the stars, I mean, if you have a chance to hire a top tier coach that everybody wants, do it. Yeah. Because let's go back and look. And you might have to answer some of these because this goes back to either when I was a little kid or I wasn't around. How many people were in line to hire Matt Eberflus as a head coach? I'm and I'm not talking defensive coordinator because I do think that there are plenty of teams that could look at Matt Eberflus and say, hey, I take you as my uh, DC, but as a head coach, how many teams do you think were in line to try to get him? I think he had a couple of interviews, but nobody hired him. I mean, nobody offered him a job. It was the Bears. The Bears that came in didn't sound like he was a leading candidate for anybody. Okay, Matt Nagy. Again, I, it, that made more sense. He had he had some interviews, and we were, you know, I remember we were excited about um, about when he was hired. It's you're like, oh man, this this seems like a good fit here, and bringing Mick, Vic Fangio over, like as coordinator, this just it seemed like it was going to work. Yeah. Uh, John Fox at that point of his career. No, that was it. I, when they hired him, I was like, Oh God, I, I knew that was a disaster. That was, that was, you didn't believe that was an old crusty, uh, uh, you know, uh, consultant that you hired picking an old crusty guy to pair with a young, uh, GM that that's all that was. Okay. Mark Trussman. How many people were in line to get that? I don't think anybody. I don't think so either. Lovey Smith. You, this is where you're going to have to help me out because this is when I was young. What was that? I'm sorry. Lovey Smith. We're, 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 we're a lot of teams out for Lovey Smith. I, I truly don't remember at that point. Yes. Lovey was... And that that was an era where, you know, hiring a defensive coach was uh, still like a, a very popular thing. And Lovey, Lovey was a um, was a guy that people were like, oh, OK, this this is a pretty good hire. And you know what? That worked out. Fairly well. They went to a Super Bowl, won a few division titles. Do you remember Dick Duran? Was he a hot commodity? He was not. Didn't think so. Uh, Dave Wanstead. Yes, he was a hot commodity. And that's where I thought I read somewhere. Yes, and because he was he was a Jimmy Johnson guy. Right. So that was, you know, oh, hey, he... He was he's been with Jimmy Johnson from college to the pros and he's a hot name. That was that was a hot hire and he had a mustache. You know, it it just it looked like it was gonna fit. And honestly, is those the the Wani years stunk, but Wani is such an interesting dude that I'll take it that he's now part of Chicago lore and lived through it. Because he is such a, a 
an interesting guy that you're like, we have this dude as part of our lore now. And I'll take that for those couple years. But yeah, not Tressman, not Jerron, not Nagy. Those are all bogus. Yeah. So. <sighs> um, But I do want to say this about you ask, oh, was was uh, Mark Trussman a hot name? Do you know who was available as a head coach that the year we hired Mark Trussman? Bruce Even better than that. Andy you know Reid? Andy Reid. Yeah. Andy Reid was available. Andy Reid was available. Do you know... Who would be our quarterback right now had we hired Andy Reid? Say that again. I'm sorry. Do you know who our quarterback would be had we hired Andy Reid in 2013? Jay Cutler. No. No, currently. It would be Pat Mahomes because we had the number two pick that year. Oh, that was his dude. Oh. That was his dude all along. So we right now would have... Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes as our coach and quarterback combination. That's where we would be. But we we didn't even get it. We missed on that. Which nope. And then not only that, then we whiffed on Bruce Arians. Like Bruce Arians was a he was he's like, I have this job. This is mine. And they were like, Well, when we did the mock interview, he didn't do a very good job. What a joke. So Th- this th- this is where our standards are. And it all starts at the top. Whether it's Ryan Poles or Kevin Warren, the end of the day, it all starts at the very top and that's ownership. And the standards are too low. Yep. Uh, it's just really frustrating. Um, Yeah, I I just, but listen to that press conference is Kevin Warren just sounded like a confused old man. Didn't spark any interest. Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus could, could not explain how they were complicit in the fact that this is not a good team and they offered no solutions of how they're going to be better other than they're just going to be better. And they didn't take any responsibility and they just, they absolutely threw Luke Getzey under the bus. Did Luke Getzey deserve to be thrown under the bus? Yes. And then backed up and then driven over again, but he should have been under one, one side and, and Eberflus should have been on the other. And the fact that the fact that Eberflus is still here, that just knocks Ryan Poles down several notches, in my opinion, of him. He 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 has lost the right to uh, the benefit of the doubt in my eyes. Right now, yes, that it's just any goodwill that he got from the you know, the, the Montez sweat trade 
It's I I don't trust him at this point because of that of the the, the Eberflus thing. Um, what else from that press conference? Um, he basically said that uh, Jalen Johnson is going to be back. Hopefully that means with an extension and not a franchise tag. Yeah, and I actually feel pretty good that he is going to be back. I mean, until he's back, he's not back. No, uh, but I, I, I feel, I, I feel like chances are good that he will be back. You know, between the the absolute confidence of the way Ryan Pulse said it, and if you listen to Jalen Johnson speak about it, the confidence that he had in it makes me think that they might be pretty close as right now. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they've, maybe they've got an agreement in place and hasn't been finalized, but it sounds like the confidence they both have. And Jalen Johnson has been pretty honest about it where, you know, at one point he's like, I know I'm going to be back. Oh, you know, cause they'll probably franchise tag me if we can't come to an extension. And, uh, but the fact that he suddenly changed that tune and was was sounded like he was confident that there was going to be an extension and Ryan Pohl saying that he will be back. That that makes me think that there's some sort of agreement in place or a handshake deal or they're close on terms. Um so we'll we'll wait to see on that. Yeah, I I, I think he'll be back. You know, I can't say for one hundred percent sure, but I think he will be back. Um, yeah. So, uh, what other takeaways did we have from that press conference? Um, trying to remember what else we had in there. Um, talked about Matt Eberflus's leadership and, and sure the team didn't collapse and give up, but that's, that's, It's a low bar. It's a low bar to set. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could be reading the tea leaves too much in this, but based on the way Ryan Poles talked, it sounds like the unless they can be blown away by somebody, sounds like Justin Fields is going to be the guy next year. And maybe, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. I mean, who knows what happens, but that that's the way it kind of sounded to me. Could be. I, I, I don't know. I, I, a lot of people are trying to read into that. I just, I don't really draw as much conclusion from it. I just don't know. I have no absolute conclusion. And honestly, I'm going to say this is I'm going to say, I love Justin Fields. And I would love to see him stay here and be a star and and lead this team going forward. But if he doesn't, then, you know, whoever the Bears bring in, I'm going to cheer them on. I just will not be buying a jersey. And I'm done buying Bears jerseys of active players. Oh, yeah, I stopped that a long time ago. I stopped it too until they drafted Justin Fields and then literally 
the night of the draft, I put my pre-order in like an idiot. <laughs> nice going. I'm never going to do that again. I just taped a number one on the back of one of my old jerseys, but that fell off pretty quickly. Um, it sounded like he's he's happy with Braxton Jones. Um, so I I don't know if we'll see us draft a first round tackle in back to back years. Um, I would love to see them draft another tackle. But, um, you know, I, I've said it before. Other, But that last game, Braxton Jones did not look good. But then again, Tevin Jenkins didn't look good. Uh, nobody looked good except for Darnell Wright. Um, but I, I said that left tackle was a luxury. I still believe that. Um, let's see. They talked about, uh, how good they felt about Javon Dexter and Tyreek Stevenson. Um, yeah. So all observations we made, I, whatever. Right. Uh, so there we are. Uh, we know the bears have said a couple of names so far, for candidates that they're going to be interviewing. And Eberflus said the phone is ringing off the hook for both coordinator jobs. Um, and so I, the two, I think, do we have more than two names that are confirmed? I know there's Shane Waldron, who was the offensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks last year. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's available so normally you can't hire an assistant, like an offensive coordinator to be an offensive coordinator unless they were fired or they or their contract was expired. Or in that case, their head coach was let go. Then he can move over laterally. So Shane Waldron, um, Clint Kubiak, who is the offensive uh, uh, passing coordinator for the 49ers. And I don't know if we have any other names besides that so far. Those are the ones I know. Um, but I mean, Shane Waldron is interesting because he's got extensive experience being an offensive coordinator and calling plays. And he did some really good things with, a journeyman quarterback and turning that guy into a legitimate NFL, uh, and an legitimate NFL quarterback. Um, so that, that's interesting. That's, um, and plus Shane Waldron, if you look, that dude has played or coached under Pete Carroll, Sean McVay, and Bill Belichick. Like th- that's three heck of a head coaches that you played. Are you, uh, you worked under. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Clint Kubiak is the 49ers passing game coordinator. And I believe he has 
um, play calling experience elsewhere, just not with the 40. Um, oh, here's the, they've also going to interview Greg Olson, the Seahawks quarterbacks coach and the offensive coordinator from university of Kentucky, Liam Cohen, not the nope. Greg Olson that we once knew. Not that Greg Olson, even though that Greg Olson does want to get into coaching. He, I could see it. He would, he said he wants, he was interested in the Panthers job. Um, he's a very smart guy. Uh, I, I don't know if I would hire him to be a smart guy, great player. So what did the bears do when he was in his prime? They traded him away. Yeah. For Nichols. And I think he would be a good coach. I don't know if I would hire him to be a head coach straight off out of the booth that I th- feel like you got to work that look, uh, work your way up on that one. But um, I think he'd be a very good coach. Sure. I mean, it's, it's possible. I, I there, there's a lot of attributes that you like there with him. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk more once we have some of these interviews you know, in the bag, we can start discussing the the intricacies of each of these coordinator options. Um, but I I do like Shane Waldron. I I think that one seems like a safe bet because you know you you can look. It's not it's not a guy that's taking a promotion. It's a dude that that's the job he's had. He's had a, that job in multiple places. So he was the offensive coordinator for Sean McVay and he didn't call plays because Sean McVay calls the plays, but he was the offensive coordinator. Um, And then he moved on to calling the plays under, under Pete Carroll. And so uh, that's, that's an interesting name for me. And I would say that of the four, he would be my preference of hires. I, I think that's fair. Ugh, but I don't really have any more th- things to say about the Bears. No, I, I'm sick of talking about it. It's it's just so, so, feels so hopeless right now. It truly does. Uh, where do you want to move on to from here? Let's go some baseball, shall we? Yeah, so the Cubs finally made some moves. Finally? right before the fan convention too. And everything from what I get, I wasn't at Cubs convention, but I watched a number of the big moments on television. You know, the weather was bad, so I didn't really have anything else to do this weekend. Um, I was able to see kind of what other executives were saying on the Cubs, like Carter Hawkins, because, you know, Jed Hoy always talks, but heck, even, even Tom Ricketts. But, you know, you hear from Tom Ricketts, you hear from Carter Hawkins, Um, And you hear from guys like Craig Council, um, the new manager. And even though it's been an incredibly slow offseason, after they got Shota Imanaga on an incredibly good deal, there's a new sense, I think, of hope that they're going to be getting some more things done before spring training. And I don't know if you watched any of the coverage, but... Holy moly, was there a lot of Cody Bellinger talk that fans kept bringing up? And even some of the players. Did you hear what Dansby Swanson said? No. He said on stage while talking with Ryan Dempster, 
the next thing to do is to re-sign Bellinger. And during the opening ceremonies, as Tom was talking on stage, they were chanting Bellinger's name. And even in some of the other mock press conferences and all those meetings, fans were bringing up Cody Bellinger. So, I mean, it's, it's seems to bring like, him it, back. It seems like it's it's inevitable. Maybe not. I mean, it's too strong of a word. What's what's like one step down from inevitable? That's that's where it feels like. I would say Bellinger. feels pretty decent. My one fear is that Art Moreno is going to step in saying we lost Otani. We need a seats filler. You know what? Let's just pay him the 200 plus million that Scott Boris wants from him. That's really my main fear. I mean, that's possible, but it just it seems like he he really enjoyed his time in Chicago. That Cubs and he appreciated the Cubs coming in and bringing him in and paying him well to to give him that one year rebound contract. Um he liked his time here. He liked the team. He liked the organization. The organization likes him. The players like him. The fans are desperate for him. And the market, for the most part, is kind of dried up. Um, it's I, – I just – I. what I will say is maybe another owner comes in and swoops in is willing to pay – the whatever asking prices. I think because Boris always wants to get more and I have a feeling Bellinger is always going to give the Cubs one last chance to respond. I feel like the Cubs will get that one last chance. Like, Hey, we got offered this. And as long as they beat it, then he signs. I do. I right. The, the thing is, I, I think they have a hard limit of what they want to spend. That's a possibility. If it's over two hundred, I really don't think they're going to spend it. We'll see, I wonder, but I just. I wonder if it's about the years or the money. Yeah, I mean that's a good question. Jed always seems more about concerned about the years than the money per se. Right. Right. And, if I'm Boris and Bellinger, I'm probably more concerned about the years. I mean, sure. I, it's, I mean, it, it, again, though, it's Scott Boris we're talking about. So we're talking years and money with him. Fair. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, so the Cubs did bring Shota Imanaga in. And his press conference was awesome. Yes. Uh, the way, the when he opened it up saying, Hey, Chicago, what do you say? The Cubs are going to win today. That just made me feel so many things. Yeah, it, it was. And from the reports, it sounded like he's been in Chicago for a minute. And this seemed like an inevitable thing. He wanted to play for the Cubs and he took, he took less guaranteed money to play for the Cubs. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all the reports were the Cubs were out on him and I'm guessing that was based on the money offers and he took less money. I mean, I, I hear there's, there's escalators in the contract where he could earn more, but correct. It is, uh, it is a base four year, $53 million. That's, that is a, for a lefty. That's 
you know, a, a borderline front of the roster pitcher, like that's, that's, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. And you know what? I, you know, you're getting, you're getting a guy where sure it is a bit of a risk. He doesn't throw hard, but the movement on his pitches is crazy. I don't know if you've seen any of the tape, but Oh yeah. The stuff that he has, the way the fastball moves and the way the splitter moves and the breaking balls move. That's how he misses all those bats. He led the league in strikeouts last year over in Japan in his division. And he was just rock solid with the command too. I think the biggest concern is giving up the home run balls. He's been susceptible to that. And you just wonder about some of those warm days at Wrigley when the wind's blowing out. And, you know, that could play to your advantage early when the wind's blowing in, but on the, when the wind's blowing out, you might have to change your approach a little bit and not be as fastball heavy, but you know, the movement there is elite and you're, you're not risking a lot in terms of years and financial investment in this, you know, you're paying Jameson Tyone a lot more than you're paying uh, Showtime Inaga. Yeah. I, I listened to, I don't remember who it was. It was a, it was a, a Cubs writer. I think he worked for marquee network. Um, and he was saying that he thinks part of the, the reason that Shota Imanaga wanted to go there besides the city and having another Japanese player on the team uh, was the Cubs, the Cubs coaching staff came in with a plan of how they were going to minimize those home runs. I'm sure he has that concern too, coming over to a lesser from a lesser home run league. I mean, I'm not going to shit on the Japanese league, but they they don't hit the home runs like in America. It's it's a big difference, and and that's got to be concern for him. And if they came in with a plan saying, "Hey, here's what we're going to do," uh, that probably that probably looked favorable to him of how he could be the most successful in this league. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that's going to be interesting too, is are they going to be able to go out there and count on this pitching staff right now, even with the addition of Imanaga, because then let, let, let's look at it. He's probably your mid starter, right? Like a probably, three, probably your three. So Justin Steele is your one. Tyone is Tyone's your two. Well, you have two. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm that's, just saying. Oh, yeah, that's probably your he's probably your two. Imanaga's your three. Hendricks is your four. And I uh, would you switch Wicks and Hendricks at the bottom there? Maybe. I mean, you probably go you probably give benefit of the doubt to Hendricks because he's a veteran. Right. So probably vet, uh Hendricks um, is your four and Wicks is five. Could be if you want to see that as a, oh, hey, we're going, you know, left, right, left, right, left, right. Um, if you don't add anybody else and we're not talking about when like Ben Brown is available. Mm-hmm. You just better as sure as hell hope that Tyone pitches the way he did in the second half last year. Um, if he's your two. you Yeah, I mean, the hope is. Uh, the hope is that he just has a resurgence and 
you know, figures it out in the year two. I mean, he seemed to figure it out in the second half last year. The question is, can he keep doing it? I mean, remember you Darvish when he came to the Cubs. He That start was abysmal. Between injuries and bad, just bad pitching. And then he figured it out. Like, and I'm hoping, and I'm, I'm hoping with Tyone, it is one of those things where it's the expectation carry of the big contract carries a lot of weight and it's hard to overcome it. And after playing a year, having an off season coming in and going, you know what? The weight of the world shouldn't be on my shoulders and just pitching like he pitches. Then I, I, you know, if he pitches like the pitcher we expected to bring in, we're fine. Yes, it's just the, the first kinda... half of last year was brutal. Yeah, and you just hope that what he did in the second half continues. I still think you need. I still wish they had one more elite arm in there as a two. Yeah, I mean, you always wish you had one more arm. But honestly, it's you, you teams have won with worse starting rotations than this. I mean, not the World Series, but they have they have done good things with with, uh, you know, lesser rotations. I think I think you have to before you can continue on with starting pitching, uh, you know, you need. You've got a corner infield spot. You still need to figure out. You need to figure out center field. Um, I don't think Master Boney is as your starting center fielder is what dreams are made of. And you probably talk, PC- sorry, uh, Talkman. I, you're assuming PCA starts in AAA. I that's my assumption. That's probably my assumption too. Um, What's he, interesting... He's got quite a few... Th- I mean, he can come in and be a, a a well above average fielding center fielder, but... It's the hitting. That the, needs hit, work. the hitting, and, and he'll get there. I just, you know, he needs... It needs work. It needs work. Right, right. Uh, what was interesting is also during the Imanaga signing, we had that trade with the Dodgers to bring in Bush, the uh, top 50 prospect, the infield you know, first base, third baseman, guy who's got a lot of power, hit well in AAA, and was more or less blocked by the Dodgers. Yeah. So that's an interesting gamble that the Cubs are taking. I don't know if it's going to work, but I like the creative thinking. Maybe it plays out great. And maybe even if he does strike out a bit, if he's giving you 25, 30 homers, there's... You're getting more power from a potential corner infield spot, something that we have not gotten since really Brian Rizzo left, unless you count Cody Bellinger's time at first base or the uh, the the month surge of Frank Schwindel in the post teardown 2021 team. But you know, outside that, I mean, look at look at the corner infield when you didn't have Cody Bellinger playing first base over the past few years. Third base, you had Nick Madrigal for a time, and he fielded really well, but he ain't a power hitter. And at first, you had 
Mancini and Hosmer who were way washed. And you also tried out uh, Alfonso Rivas and you, Patrick Wisdom played there a little bit. And obviously Patrick Wisdom brings a lot of power, just not consistent hitting. You're just, you're looking for a consistent output from your corner infield. And that's one way I think the Cubs would like to try to solve it. You know, when they, they traded for Michael Bush, I was in my car and I heard it and I wasn't quite paying attention. And I thought they said they, they've got Matt Bush. And I don't know if you remember Matt Bush. I do. And I, all I could think of is, do you, do you remember, do you remember his arrest? This I is, do. For those that don't know, this is, it's not, it probably was not funny at the time, but now that we're like, I don't know, like 15 years removed from it. Um, so Matt Bush was the number one overall pick in like the 2004 MLB draft. Number one overall pick. This was a lights out guy. And then like five years later, he was arrested at a high school in like San Diego that was caught on camera and he was drunk and he beat up a high school uh, lacrosse player with a golf club screaming, I'm Matt fucking Bush. And when that happened, like, like that was a catchphrase with like my baseball friends. Like we were just like, I'm Matt fucking Bush. What a wild story. Uh, yeah, no, not that Matt Bush. Thank goodness. Uh, yeah. So, um, I I would just if Michael Bush had a sense of it's completely completely different first name and a different spelling of the last name, but it would be hilarious if Michael Bush would have come up and just been like, "I'm Michael fucking Bush," and baseball people would laugh. Um. But yeah, I mean, we got, we gave up some solid lottery tickets to get Bush. Um, but it's yeah, Jackson CM- Ferris is a high upside arm, long way from the big leagues, but yeah, high I mean, upside. Here's the thing: is it's a different, it's a different story than like when the White Sox traded for James Shields. That was, that was an older guy, like, you know, that, um, you know, you were trying to, in a win now kind of thing is, uh, Michael Bush is a young player. So you're giving up a really young player for a young player and the confidence level that Bush will come in and be a major league player is extraordinarily higher than Jackson Ferris coming in. And Jackson Ferris may come at some point in, I mean, when, what's his expect, expected date, 2027? Like 26, 27. It's a few years down the road. I mean, it's he's essentially a lottery ticket right now, as most yeah. prospects are. Well, I mean, he some of them are much, you know, when they're that. When young. they're much younger, right. Right. Yeah, We're not it, talking about a 22-year-old prospect on the on the cusp. We're talking about a 19-year-old that's way down. He's only pitched a handful of innings. Uh, in a ball. So not, not a big sample size, despite the, you know, the upside with the raw stuff. Yeah. So Bush can play first base or, um, I guess a mediocre third base. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, and, and, you know, maybe you move him to first, depending on what happens with Bellinger. I mean, th- there's a lot of possibilities right now. I think one thing that makes you wonder about how they're going to go forward with this is truly. And a lot of people have been asking about this. They've been asking about a Cubs convention. Where does Morel fit in all this? Is, is he going to be trade bait? There have been, there's been so much smoke around Christopher Morel and the possibility of being traded. Not, not saying there's anything inevitable or it's going to happen. It's all really just speculation more than smoke, really. But what, what there has been smoke around is the Cubs trading for guys like a Pete Alonzo or I'm not saying they're going to do it now. It seems less likely, but like when Shane Bieber was in thought, it it feels like there is a good possibility that there's going to be a significant trade sometime, whether it's this off season, mid season, next off season, we don't know, but th- there's a lot of moving pieces right now. And all I can say is that with all these moving pieces, you're going to have a lot of questions. I think that's one of the bigger questions. You better get a lot back from Morel. Uh, he's an ascending player. He is he is a like a good clubhouse dude. He's a spark plug kind of dude. Um, and he, he's he's got some easy pop in his bat. Yeah, and the frustrating thing, you just wish he could play third base. And I mean, said- he plays the position. He just doesn't play it well. We said the same thing about uh, Nikki Two Strikes. And he came in and was a perfectly fine third baseman last year. Well, technically, and- Maury was perfectly fine. If you look at his bad stats, he was like an, a plus eight defensive run saved. And he was a guy that not only did we think he, I mean, he wasn't a very good second baseman with the White Sox. And you're like, oh, well, he, if you can't play second base, what, what, reason do we have that you could play third third's extremely hard compared to second base and like does he have the arm for it and and he was he was good and you're like can whatever wizardry that you used whatever hogwarts magic you found to made that happen can you find that for morell because if if morell could play defense the way that madrigal did at third base you've got your third baseman Absolutely. And that was kind of my hope, too. Here's my concern. Morell, when he has played there, hasn't really shown it yet. When Magical went in there, he kind of right away started playing really well. The concern is, is you're going into a season where you don't really have grace period of figuring stuff out. The goal is to try to win. You know, you're not in that transition phase. D- do you see what I'm saying? No, I hear you. I hear you perfectly well. Um, you know, you, I, you just don't want to be experimenting too much when you're no. trying to get to the playoffs. Right. I mean, it it better be the experiment better be during spring training. Right. 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 And that is 100% accurate. Yeah. If at the, by the end of spring training, if you don't feel confident that he could be at least an average third baseman, then I only want to see him there on occasions. Um, 
you know, as it stands now, you've got Madrigal that could play third. You've got Wisdom that can play third. They're not, they both have their pros and cons. I mean, Wisdom's an average third base in fielding, and he's got huge pop, but boy, that that batting average and those strikeouts are brutal. Um, Madrigal can't can't hit for power to save his life. No, but he was a he was a solid fielding third baseman. Uh, you've got Bush who can play third, and he's got upside bat, but you know he's he's a sub average fielding third baseman. And you've got Morrell who's not a good third fielding third baseman, but he's got the highest upside bat. Um, at first base, you've got the the wild card is Matt Mervis. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and he's ever since he went back down from his first MLB stint, he's kind of not not I don't want to say faded, but kind of put on the back burner. Because remember, before he came up, he was a big topic of conversation. Right. But I mean, he is a wild card. Yes. They're, they're, yeah. They're, yes. You know, yes. He'll be he'll be at spring training, obviously. And you know, he'll be given every opportunity to win position. Uh, you've got Morrell can play first base, not, you know, you don't want to put him there regularly, but uh, you've got Bush who can play first base. Um, and you've got, if you bring back Bellinger and for center field, you've got PCA, potentially which not a good option if you're trying to win right now i don't think uh talkman and maybe bellinger if you bring him back um and then dh morell is probably your leading candidate mm-hmm. but then you've got you know you're still linked to reese hoskins who is only a first baseman in dh um you know on the the good side is there's a lot of interchangeability. So if there's injuries or, you know, you're resting guys, you you've got options, but you know, none of them are, there's no, you're lacking a lot of natural fits. Right. I mean, here, here I'm going to put a scenario in front of you. How does this sound to you at the beginning of 2024 going to opening day? Bush at first base. Morell at third base after playing well in spring training at the position. Cody Bellinger in center field. Reese Hoskins, your DH. I I'm happy with that. I am too. Um, you know that that seems that seems like your best case scenario. I think so too. And then when PCA comes up. Maybe you play more matchup based and Cody Bellinger plays some first and well, you mean if PCA comes up and, and is playing well or when right. he comes up here, do you want him? You just want to get him at bats, but you have the, the luxury of you can play you can play him at all three spots in the outfield. 
I mean, he is he's he's a really good center fielder, but he could easily play left or right. Um, and you could put him at DH to get at bats. Probably not your best case scenario, but Bellinger can play all three outfield spots, first base or DH. Um, I, I would think that to get guys at bats, you would give rest days to Hap and Suzuki and uh, Bellinger and rotate some guys, you know, position wise. And plus you're going to get injuries at some point. Yeah, no, you're going to get injuries. And the other thing too, is consider the fact that what did we see last year? Remember when things got thin and there was clearly some fatigue, not just with the pitchers, but remember Dansby Swanson looked completely gassed and probably should have sat, but didn't. Yeah. So load up, you know, I mean, honestly, then if you have a better option at third and you need to give several days of rest to Dansby Swanson, uh, you can move Horner over to short and Madrigal over to second and, and, you know, sort of solve that issue to give people that, that break is, is there is flexibility. It's, but you've got to, there's still some moving parts that you need to, to solve for. And I think uh, Reese Hoskins and Bellinger are, are kind of guys that, that have been linked to you, make a lot of sense to you, just need to pull the trigger and make it happen. Right. And I, and I would be shocked if, you know, at this point, Reese Hoskins is probably a one-year deal. Maybe a, a one, one and one with a, you know, team option. I mean, you know, you can look at that situation and say, hey, with Reese Hoskins, I know it sounds weird, but it's almost comforting if you're getting him on a short term because he's coming off injury. And you can look at guys who might be weighing in the wings or a trade in the future and say, hey, he's trying to win with us, but he's also kind of a placeholder to be part of this team. Right. You can kind of look at it that way. You know, it's, it's good for him on a short term deal because he's coming back from injury. He's going to try to earn a bigger contract for the Cubs. It gives you another year to see what you have with Matt Mervis and um, fills your, your roster out now. And it doesn't take you out of the running of if he works out well and you, you don't like what's coming up from the farm system, then, you know, you can, doesn't stop you from bringing him back as a free agent, kind of like what we're hoping to do with Bellinger. Mm -hmm. And honestly is the best case scenario is he's playing well. And then Mervis comes up and is playing well. And, you know, you could, you could trade him. Sure. I mean, that's, that's a best case scenario is, you got a young guy that's on a lower contract and and you have somebody that just becomes unnecessary or redundant and you're still in the position of winning and you can trade a redundant player. That'd be that'd be huge. You know, find a position that you need and be able to to make some swaps. 
And I think that's what smart GMs do. And they, they anticipate that for that reason. I mean, we've seen teams make not selling moves, but like a guy for a guy in the middle of pennant races. Like we, we see that happen or in the middle of a contention window. You just got to know how to handle it and finagle it. That's what she said. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's still a lot of moves the Cubs have to make. And I'm hoping that I was hoping that, you know, Cubs convention that they could, they could be like, look who we just signed. And Cody Bellinger shows up and the whole place erupts. Oh, I know. I was hoping for that too. I knew it probably wasn't going to happen, but there was that meathead fan in me that was hoping for it. I, I kind of had this image of like, Hey everybody, look what we got a chocolate Cody Bellinger. It's just like a giant, like Cody Bellinger and chocolate. But then you, then you suddenly hear thud, thud, thud from inside. Help. I can't breathe. And then it breaks breaks open. It's actually Cody Bellinger in there. (laughs) It's like a, it's like a chicken hatching out of an egg. It just cracks and just pops his little head pops out. He's in full uniform, of course. Uh... Oh my god, this is the stupidest thing I think I'll ever say on this show. It all starts out with like Jed looking like he's laying an egg as a hen, and then it it's like, it's like the uh, the Eagle Man commercial. <laughs> yeah, oh, I've got yes. something for you. He's got the Eagle costume on. Because you know what's even funnier is, do you remember when the Blackhawks made that parody commercial of that with Tommy Hawk and the egg? No, I never saw that. Yeah, I think it was uh, Patrick Sharp, and I think it might have been like Patrick Sharp and Taze or Sharp and Duncan Keith, but it was uh, one of those uh, Hawk Auto commercials, and it was Tommy Hawk was standing on top of the car. I got something for you, and lays the egg. (laughs) Jed Hoyer's in a chicken costume. You just see like his normal Jed Hoyer head in like a big feather costume, and then the egg pops down. Uh, that would be the most amazing thing ever. And you know, honestly, I grew up with those commercials. Like that was those when when you were homesick from school. It was, you know, some people are like, oh, the Price is Right. You watch the Price is Right when you were homesick. No, man, I watched those stupid commercials, Chicago commercials, Victory Auto Wreckers and Eagle Insurance. And, you know, Eagle Insurance no longer exists and you don't have those commercials anymore. And the Empire Carpet guy is dead. And it used to be just 588-2300 because you didn't need to dial an area code. Now it's 800-588-2300. It's just not the same. And Victory Auto Wreckers went out of business. Didn't they just Uh, recently go out of business? Yeah, in December. Yeah, yeah. Well, because wasn't that one where the guy's opening the car and the door comes off and he's shaking yes. his head? Yes, he kicks the door. Yep. And it like I, ingrained into my brain. You're like, oh, what's Victory Wreckers' address? Seven Ten East Green in Bensonville, near O'Hare. Like, I will on my dying day, I will still remember what the address of of Victory Auto Wreckers is. Well. And- uh- the the commercial I always got the old classic commercial I always got a kick out of was Discount Tire Company with the angry lady. If you're ever unsatisfied with one of our tires, please feel free to bring it back. And she throws it in, in the window. I don't think I know that one. Oh, you you if you saw it, you know it. Uh, Are you you're in front of your computer right now? Obviously, yes. 
it, look it up. Discount Tire Company. Discount Tire. I, I, I'm telling you that you have to. I, I will guarantee that you've seen this before. It's it's an ancient commercial. It's played on all the Chicago stations during games and. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, you I know it. This one, you know it. <laughs> Uh yeah, I totally remember this one. Uh Discount Tire Company. It, it's so simple, but it's so good. And you know, I obviously remember all the uh the Empire commercials, uh the Bob Rorman commercials. Uh those were those were the classics. And the the reason they were classics, I think, was because of its simplicity and the fact that it just became ingrained into people's minds. Uh just, you know made them classics. And it's really funny because I've gone down YouTube rabbit holes of like cartoons when I was a kid in the early 2000s. And when people record them or post like old videos of those specific commercials, it's like, I haven't seen or thought about those commercials in years. But then when I saw them play, I'm like, I remember this whole thing. I remember the infomercial for like the glow in the dark sticky putty or the cool like chalk glow stick things or those cool to- like I like all those memories come flooding back and commercials can be so nostalgic. You know what's wild about the Victory Auto Records commercial? What was do that? Know, do you know when it first aired? Was it in like 1984 or something? 1981. Wow. And then by 1985, the commercial had deteriorated too much, so they hired somebody to recreate the commercial. Really? <laughs> they recreated the commercial in 1985, and then the same exact one ran from 85 until Victory Auto Records was no longer in business. And, I don't know, maybe like eight years ago or so, they held the contest where you could uh, try to make the new Victory Auto Records commercial. Oh, I think I did hear about that, Yeah. And somebody I know like entered it. They they tried to make one, and um, they were one of the, like the five finalists. But it, uh, and I don't think they ever really did much with the winner. But because it was just wasn't as good as the the original. Yeah, you can't beat the original. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So honestly, going back to the Cubs, I, I would not be shocked if we saw some moves this week. I hope so. It could happen. I mean, because what are we like three weeks or so, three, four weeks from pitchers and catchers reporting? Yeah, I mean, it's it's February, so it, it's coming up. And there are a lot of guys unsigned out there that would sure love to have a home soon so they know where they're going. Yeah, Cubs um, have not announced when pitchers and catchers reporting, but... Um, it's usually like between like the eighth and the thirteenth ish. So, yeah. So we're like less than a month from pitchers and catchers reporting. So it would be nice to to have that knocked out and you know know who your team is. Yeah, absolutely. Other side of town, White Sox, nada. I mean. They've Still, we're, everything around the White Sox is uh, what's going to happen with Dylan Cease. Yeah. Um, 
I I still see the Dodgers as a good option. Uh, I think the Dodgers and the uh, Orioles make a lot of sense. Orioles make a lot of sense. I could see the Red Sox trying to make a move because I, yeah, sure, I can see that they 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 were trying to cut payroll, but they're still trying to compete. If you could bring in a guy that um, you is know, as cost effective as he is for the next two years, yeah, that might make sense for them. Um, so there there's teams out there, and I think they would be willing to pay for him. But I I, I just the asking price that I've heard from from Getz seems a little high. Yeah, it seems like that teams and Getz are pretty far apart on what people are willing to pay and what Getz is willing to accept. And and I get it. You can't give away your best trade chip. Like that just no, doesn't make any no, sense. No, you're not going to sell them short, no. But like you but you if you keep him, you're really gambling. Like if I'm Getz, I'm really trying to push to get this trade done before the season starts because if he comes out and lays an egg in the first half of the season or he gets hurt or he gets hurt, your trade value just bottoms out. Right. And you know, they did that with Jose Quintana. They obviously ended up getting Dylan Cease and Eloy Jimenez from the Cubs, but you know, they took that gamble and it ended up paying off for them, but it's, it's hard to do that twice in a row. I mean, is it guaranteed fail if you do that? No, it's just saying you're taking a risk by doing that. Yeah, I mean, even even if he doesn't bottom out and he just, if he plays like last year, you're like, I don't know. I just don't feel like you're going to get that trade value. You'll and, still get value. You just won't get the value that you want. Right. And if you can get something good now, I feel like that's your best option because then you don't, you go in the season knowing what you have and you know you don't have to worry about about what his trade value is his is going to be as almost like a, a commodity and your every start you're like oh man what's this doing to his trade value what's this doing to his trade value um you know and if you're the Dodgers the Dodgers seems like a little bit of a luxury i mean i know they still have some holes in that pitching rotation starting rotation but they've got some front end dudes and Orioles can always use arms. But I think your hope is if you're the white Sox, is somebody goes down with a big injury in spring training and, and you can swoop in and use that as leverage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's not much Blackhawks. Um, no but we do have to talk about the bulls first yeah i just want i I wanted to wrap up with that but uh the blackhawks did extend nick felino for two years which i think was a smart move yeah it makes total sense he's been a great leader on the team and you know they've played hard these past few games but some real tough losses you're you just don't have the the horses to win games right now And, and nick felino the for the money you pay him on this extension he doesn't need to be good. He just needs to be a locker room guy. And honestly, when you add more talent to this team, he's he is going to be, you know, far down the ladder of guys that you're counting on night in, night out. But the the fact that he's such a stand-up dude now and he's such a good leader, you're rewarding him. And 
I think it's an assurance that you're probably not trading him. I mean, I guess you still could, but I think I think this makes it a little less likely that you're trading him. Um, because yeah, I, I don't you're you're, I don't, you're not trading him after that. I mean, it would be weird to trade him after you gave him an extension. And I mean, listen, no disrespect to him, but what value are you bringing back in a trade? I mean, Corey Corey Perry probably you know pre whatever he did probably had more trade value at the deadline. Sure. Um, but man, now that dude, I don't even know if anybody's going to pick him up. I know he had a reinstate meeting not long ago. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. It's not going to be here though. No, no, definitely never. But yeah, I mean the, the Blackhawks they play hard and you know, the one thing having they, we did get bad news, Bedard it's going to be out longer than I think we had hoped or expected. Um, I think we were hoping four to six and now it's sounding six to eight. I was just so excited to watch him in the all-star game. It's just a real bummer. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I heard Shelly talking and he was like, you know, but this was before the announcement about the, the time frame. And he was like, uh, you know, the hope is that he could come and maybe do some of the skills competition, even if he's not playing in the game. And I'm like, that'd be cool. You know, let him experience it and be there. But yeah, but at least we you know, don't want to risk anything. Yeah, at least we know that once he's back from this, it's not like a shoulder or a knee or a hip where a nagging like once that once that jaw is healed, it's healed. Right. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, thank goodness it's not a, a torn ACL or, a, you know, like a rib cage or a shoulder ankle type thing. Uh but let's wrap this up with bulls. Yeah. The ring of honor was supposed to be a good thing and a cool thing and, and a distraction from the, the middling play and whatever else is going on. And it started poorly because Jordan and Pippen weren't going to be there. Right. And uh, it was pretty obvious that Jerry Krause wasn't going to be there. Because he's dead. But his widow was there. And absolute scumbags booed. They booed and made this poor widow cry. That I I can't I can't even watch that video. It's it's too heartbreaking to watch. You know, if if Jerry was alive and you booed him, okay, fair game. He's fair game. He stepped into that public role on a team. Fair game. But because I, you have reason to boo him, he broke up that team, and I get it. But he's he's gone. You can't hurt him anymore. And hear your booze. He's gone. But a woman who did nothing wrong, didn't hurt you, you you know, she she married somebody and it had nothing to do with his basketball general manager ability. Is she loved this person as a person? He's gone. Her spouse is gone, and you booed his memory while she was there. 
that's just low, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was so heart wrenching to see, and frankly, I think that this should be a lesson for all of us in this time. You know, think what you will of Jerry Krause. Okay, you know, we're entitled to your opinion of Jerry Krause, but it, it wasn't the time or place for that. It, it really, really wasn't, and it, it's no matter what, it's inexcusable. Um, I do wish Bulls PR maybe would have thought, hey, maybe showing him first and then cutting to her was not the best idea. Um, but it doesn't make it excusable at all what happened. Just really, really sad to see. Yeah, that, you know, honestly, I I was like, the sports world can't can't get any lower than this this week. And I was proven wrong. I don't know if you saw this a sports fan posted a picture of his son who had uh, just beat cancer, like a little kid, little kid, or has cancer and is going through treatment. I don't remember this whole scenario, but the, the it's a the little tiny kid. It's wearing a bear shirt and a Packer fan replied to it. Like the, the dad is basically just kind of airing the things in his life that he's dealing with. Packer fan commented, I wish that kid would have died because he's a Bears fan. Yeah, that was beyond disgusting. And I am glad that other Packers fans stepped up saying we don't claim him. Yeah, I just like, you know, I'm I'm passionate about sports and I I let it dictate my mood for days on end. I yell and scream and I come with you on this podcast and yell about coaches and players. But at the end of the day, like we're all human beings. Yeah. And, you know, if I saw Jerry Krause and he was still alive, I would probably tell him he sucked what he did. And, but, you know, like I'm not going to stoop to going to his grave site and, you know, smashing it up or you know vandalizing it or finding his family members and making them cry like that's just so beyond normal and the fact that so many people did it just hurts my soul mm-hmm. and you know it's like when I go back to talking about Matt Eberflus I don't dislike him as a man I think he's a very respectable good man I just wouldn't say that he's the type of head coach that I want. It's nothing personal. I don't wish any harm on him. A good example. When Matt Nagy was here, Matt Nagy sucked. And you can boo Matt Nagy at the Bears game. Like, if you boo Matt Nagy at the Bears game because he's sucking, fair game. He took that job. But booing Matt Nagy at his son's football game. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Not good. Not appropriate. Not okay. Like I get, I get you had the access there, but like, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. No, no, can't do that. Uh, I mean, if, if you want to, if you want to drive up and down the, the street in of, uh, you know, the bears tra- practice facility and put little signs saying, Matt Nagy, you're not good at coaching football. Fair game. Go for it. But don't go to son's football game. 
don't go to his family's home. Don't mail things to his house. Just just have some class about it. Like it's perfectly fine to be upset at somebody. Like that's like that's part of this is a, a fan driven like these these leagues don't exist without fans. Like so we we have a part in all of this, but there's a limit. There's a limit. Like, you know, booing if you boo Matt Nagy or Matt Eberflus at a game of the Bears, fine. But then if you throw a battery in a snowball, then you become an Eagles fan. And that's not the way to go. Yeah, we don't want to see, you know, we've been through enough as Chicago sports fans the past few years just being frustrated and angry because we're not seeing any success on the field. And we don't need to further our misery by doing things like that. Right. Just, it was, it was, it was low class and, and, you know, the bulls as an organization, they were not smart the way they handled all this. And the fans just took it to another level. Maybe they, maybe they had higher expectations of the people there, but just, it was it was a it was a black eye for Chicago sports indeed. No doubt. Was well, there anything else you wanted to talk about? Nope, I think I've said my piece. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. I want to thank everybody so much for listening. Please hit subscribe however you listen to podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, Spotify. Share this podcast with your friends. That's how we grow the show. Follow us on social media at Swirsky Sports, Facebook.com slash Swirsky Sports, Swirsky Sports.com, ShyFanPat2 for Alex on Twitter, or AlexanderJPatCreative.com for all the cool stuff that Alex does. And again, thank you all for listening. And until next time, bear down. Cubs win! What a lucky break! The good Lord wants the Cubs to win! We thank Dick and God for all they have provided. Cubs win! Cubs win! Cubs win! Oh, I don't want her. You can have her. She's a Packer fan. She can't fit in my van. And she looks like number New Yorkers. Smoking crack is not legal on planes. Bears. 31 to negative 7. The Bears. Oh, when the Bears go bearing down.